thank you guys for, uh, for just allowing me for the last two weeks prior to this to bring the word and uh, so, so honored to be able to do that. Thank you for being attentive and uh, for some of the feedback that I've got. I appreciate that so much. Well, uh, today I want to conclude the sermon series, Must See TV, with uh, a sermon titled and a show titled A Million Little Things. So this show is relative, uh, a relatively new show and uh, has probably been out, I think, just this season. And the story is about four friends who, uh, who came together in various ways. They all came together. They became best friends. And now through a series of life events and things that have happened, it has challenged their friendship but also brought them closer together. And so we want to take that kind of that idea today and translate that into the way that looks for our Christian life. So, so far in the series, we've kind of walked through or journeyed through uh, this sermon series, and, and in parallel, we've kind of walked through and journeyed through our walk and our lives as believers. Remember that two weeks ago, we started out with the, ser- with the sermon, Lost, and we talked about how uh, a lot of times, uh, prior to our relationship with Jesus, we're in the deepest, darkest place, and we are separated from Him, and that He comes looking for us. He comes seeking us to pick us up and lovingly bring us and put us in the fold. And then we even looked at through that relationally sometimes how we separate ourselves from Jesus, even sometimes choosing to walk away from him and how he even has to sometimes with the crook of the staff come, put it around our necks and drag us back into the fold. And then we talked last week in really kind of an encapsulation of what that is, is it's grace. And we talked about the anatomy of grace and how grace is born in us through God's love for us and how he came seeking us. And through that, he exemplified the power of grace and, the, uh, and what grace is. And we talked about how through grace, that grace saves us, it finds us, and it sustains us through life. And so today, I want to kind of close out this series by talking about uh, what God calls us to do and how he calls us to walk this life in a worthy manner like he's called us to we have any art people in the house? Anybody that's familiar with art, loves art, knows the nuances of art? Of course not. We're in North Alabama. We, we don't have this. There's, there's not two people like me. I kind of, right? So the only reason I know anything about art is because in my last semester of my master's degree in seminary, I had to take an art class. And it was, a, it was a, um, an alternate class that I took. And so I ended up learning a lot out of it. So one of the things that, that I learned about was an, a technique of painting called pointillism. Has anybody ever heard of that? All right. So pointillism, in essence, is where the artist takes, and all over the canvas, they make little dots. Little dots of pure color all over the canvas that, to the viewer's eye, eventually, when you step back and look, paint this beautiful picture. So I have an example of it uh, here that you'll see on screen. This is a work of art by a, an artist named George Surratt. He painted this sometime between 1884 and 1886. And the name of this painting is A Sunday on La Grande Jute. Y'all are impressed by the way I said that, aren't you? Yeah, that was good. So in essence, what he's painted here is he's painted this beautiful Sunday afternoon where all these people from various walks of life have come together and they're enjoying the same scenery. You see you have people here on the right side of the screen, very formal with their umbrellas and their top hats and dressed up very nicely. 
Uh, and then you have my man over here in the lower left-hand corner who has on a bro tank, and he is uh, lounging, you know, and then you have all these other various aspects of this painting. There's animals out there. They're all enjoying the same thing. And it's a really beautiful picture, all with the exception of this really creepy thing at the base of the tree on the left side. See where it's pointing here? Really creepy looking, right? Like, I don't know what place that has in the painting, but the only thing I can see when I see that is Kenny from South Park. <laughs> Anybody else? Let me say, and that's all I say. I'm not familiar with South Park. Like, after the first sermon, my little boy came up to me. He said, Daddy, how do you know about South Park? And I said, how do you know about South Park? Right? I don't really know anything about South Park, but I do know Kenny. I've seen that before on some things, and that's all I can think about when I see that. But if you pull in really closely, not to Kenny, but to the painting, you'll see that there is various, just a lot of dots here. A lot of dots. And if you look on the side screens, it's really a little more clear than it is on the back screen. But you see the extreme close-up on the left side of the screen shows you these up-close dots, just these various dots. And on the right side, you can kind of see how it starts to develop into a picture when you pull back. It's made up of a million little dots. And so, so many times in our lives, in our, our Christian life, we see and we think that the pursuit of holiness or the sum of our lives is made up of these big events when really it's made up of a million little things. It's made up of a million little things that come together that do one of two things. They either come together to supplement our walk with Jesus and form what we look like as believers... Or they come together to detract and take away from our relationship with God and sometimes form a wedge between us and the God of the universe. A million little things that do both of these things. So this morning I'm going to come out of 2 Peter chapter 1 and I'm going to read verses 3 through 11 together and then we're going to talk about them individually for just a few minutes together. So would you read with me in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 it says this. His divine power has granted to us all things. That pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers... Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter here gives you these, these, uh, these, these tangible things that you can look at. You can see that they are necessary in the life of a believer. But who is he talking to here? It's important to establish that up front. Well, if you dive back to 1 Peter chapter 1, you see who he's writing to here. I'll just read the first three verses there. To those who are the elect. This is Peter writing to 
these people. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. He is writing here to Christians. He's writing here to believers. He's writing to these people of the early church who are in bar- they're, they're bombarded, if you will, for, uh, with all these different lifestyles and all these different temptations and all these different things, just as we are today. And he's writing to them saying, listen, you have to be founded in the faith. You have to supplement your faith with these things. And so he's writing to these people in the early church, but he's also writing to me and you. He's also addressing you and I and the troubles and the temptations and the struggles in life that we face on a day-to-day basis. basis. So there's three things this morning that I want to see out of this passage of Scripture in 2 Peter chapter 1 that I want us to help each other this morning in understanding how we are to walk this life for Jesus. The first thing is this, that He has given us all things. He's given us all things. That's good. Have you ever uh, been packing for a trip? And if you're anything like me, the time to get ready to pack for a trip and to pack for a trip is when? The day right before you're leaving, right? The night right before you're leaving. You're scrounging around. Why is it this clean? I thought these were clean. Throw them in anyways. We'll take care of them when we get down there, right? And so... We always, my wife and I, we're always packing. She's a little bit better than I am about, you know, not procrastinating. And she plans out a little better and she packs throughout the week. But I'm throwing stuff in at the last minute. And so we get in the car to leave to go to vacation or go on vacation or go out of town or whatever. And this is generally the conversation that happens. Usually nine times out of ten, this is what I get. We sit down in the car, we pull out of the driveway, we get on the road. And at some point, she's going to say, I hope I didn't forget anything. I feel like I'm forgetting something. Do y'all have that conversation? Anybody? I feel like I'm forgetting something. I'm like, me too. I always feel like I'm forgetting something. But see, for you guys, for a lot of you real manly men in here, y'all are going to the beach and you're like, I need flip-flops, some shorts, a bro tank, and maybe some sunscreen. Me, on the other hand, I got like three suitcases for a five-day trip, right? <laughs> Pulling them out of the car. I overpack, and I get there, and generally I'm like, you know, I hope I didn't forget anything, and I'm going through, and I find that I didn't forget anything. And how awesome is it when you discover you have all things that you need? Same application here, same same concept when we talk about our walk with Jesus. When we have all things, it is easier to endure the trip. And so Jesus has said, or God has told us through his word, through the Apostle Peter here, that we have been granted all things. Let me read it again to you. It's in verses 3 and 4. He says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world, because of sinful desire. That's something that impacts us all a little bit, right? Sinful desire. Sinful desire. It impacts all of us. We 
all are still in this thing called the flesh. No matter how godly we are, no matter how much we're attempting to walk with God daily in a close manner, we are still impacted by sinful desire because we're still in the flesh. I used to be a student pastor, you know that, and, and I used to get on my students a little bit. Because if I ever encountered something they were doing and I went and talked to them, their default answer was, well, uh, Brother John, I'm still in the flesh. And they said it with a smirk on their face. And I said, you may be still in the flesh, and you may still battle temptation, but God has given us the victory through Jesus, and we are to lay hold of that and walk our lives in that way. And so though we are still in the flesh, we have been given victory through Jesus. And so it's important that even though sinful desires are something that we have to deal with, something we have to address in our lives, we have been equipped with all things. We have been equipped with the things that it takes for us to live in the divine power of God. Be careful that you don't give credit to the devil here. Be careful that you don't say, well, Satan's pretty powerful in that regard and, and I'm still in the flesh. He is powerful. He is roaming, seeking whom he may, may devour. But it's important to know that we've been given all things. But it's also important to notice this. That we are to do everything that we can to supplement our faith through the things that God has given us and not things of our own. See, because that's who we are. That's who we are. I love how so many times in life that I try to supplement my faith with my stuff. With my ideas. With my ways. Y'all don't do that, do you? Y'all all spiritual on me. See, what I do is, there's a lot of times when God is nudging me in a certain direction or he's guiding me and leading me in a certain direction, what I like to do is, wait a minute, God, wait. Wouldn't it be better if I went here? Wouldn't it be better if I did this? See, I began to supplement things with my own ideas and my own desires. This is an extremely dangerous place to be. Listen to me this morning. I need you to understand, this is an extremely dangerous place to be when we begin to supplement our walk with Jesus with ourselves and our own ways and our own desires. Because can I tell you something? As a member of the human race, we are ignorant. We are ignorant to the ways and the things that we should do. And the Bible tells us this. Listen to this in Proverbs 26 and verses 11 and 12. It says, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Anybody wise in their own eyes? We all are to a certain extent, aren't we? We all think we got it figured out to a certain extent. We all are wise in our own eyes. But here the Bible says there's more hope for a fool than for him. And in the Proverbs 14 and verse 12, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, that way is death. That's pretty clear cut here. It's pretty clear cut. It gives us two examples of what our capabilities are. They're not good. They're not good. One of them says there's more hope for a fool than for the man who is wise in his own eyes. The other said when a man finds a way that's right, he's generally wrong. And the general result is death. But look what the Bible does say in Proverbs about what it looks like to live a godly life. 
Proverbs 3 and verses 5 and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. All of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Is that not very defining there? Is that not extremely uh, clear to all of us? I read verses like that sometimes, and I'm like, man, what was I thinking? Do you ever do that? You ever look at pictures from when you were back in high school? And you're like, what was I thinking? Generally, it has something to do with haircuts or fashion, right? Have I ever told you all about my, I've I've told this before, but you may have uh, not have been here, but... uh, in high school, as a senior in the who's who's of Danville High School. Don't lie. Class of 1994. I was voted best dressed. And for the best dressed who's who photo, I wore a white turtleneck <laughs> with a blue plaid button-up polo shirt over it tucked in with a leather braided belt that was that much too long because you had to turn it down right y'all with me y'all some of y'all are rejoicing right now I had on white Levi's tight rolled with Sebago's Now, some of y'all just have revival in your heart, and some of you youth in here were like, huh? If you need an update on any of those things, talk to me after the service, and I'll give you what all those things are. But I look at stuff like that, and I say, what was I thinking? I mean, that's terrible. And guess what? About 15 years from now, I'll look back on what I've got on today and be like, what was I thinking? But we all are apt to do that from time to time in our lives. But see, those things generally happen when we begin to lean on our own understanding and do our own things and supplement our faith with our ways. We're going to find ourselves so many times in a what was I thinking situation. What was I thinking? Why was I not leaning on the things that God gave us here through his word to supplement our faith with? So what are those things? Well, Peter outlined them very clearly in the scripture, and I'm going to go through seven things here that he says we are to supplement our faith with. Seven things that we're to supplement our faith with. The first one is virtue. Virtue is just the behavior of being moral or showing high moral standards. The second thing is knowledge or facts or things that you have learned from experience or through education. The third thing is steadfastness. And steadfastness means the quality of being resolutely or dutifully firm in what you stand on. The fourth thing is self-control. Oh, dear goodness. This one I struggle with. I just talked to one of the most precious ladies in our church after the last service. And she said, John, we've been going through the fruits of the Spirit as a family. And she said, the one we're on right now is self-control. And she said, we've been working on it for a while. She said, and I'm struggling with it. She said, in fact, my husband's 80-year-old grandmother the other day said something, and I had to fight myself from kicking her in the teeth. (laughs) 
I ain't that bad. No, I'm just kidding. I am. But self-control is one that we all could put a little extra detail in, isn't it? We could all think about it a little more. The fifth thing is godliness, the quality of being devoutly religious. The sixth thing is brotherly affection, a gentle feeling or fondness or liking towards others. Supplementing our faith with people coming along beside us and walking the faith life with us. And then finally, love. An intense feeling of deep affection. So where it's important to note this morning that Peter is saying, these things supplement your faith. It's important for us to notice this morning that these things do not save you. Okay? These things do not save you. In fact, there's only one thing that saves you, and that is faith through grace. It's faith, through faith, by grace you are saved. That's what the Bible tells us. And so we don't, we're not brought to salvation through these things. However, they do make us both effective and fruitful in our walk with Jesus. In fact, if you looked at what the scripture says there, it says if you practice these things, we'll talk about that in just a second, if you practice these things, it will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. I mean, do all of us want that in our lives? I mean, I dare say if we did a poll this morning and we said, how many people want to be effective in their lives? Everybody would say yes. Everybody would say, nobody is like, hey, dude, I don't care if I'm effective or not. We all want to be effective and fruitful. See, Jesus says in his word that that is the evidence of who we are as believers, is if we are trees that bear fruit. And so we want to be effective in our lives, and we want to be fruitful in our lives. And these are the way that you do that, through these virtues that supplement our faith and cause us to walk a life that shines the light of Jesus as he has called us to do. So we have been granted all things through Jesus. So that's the first thing. We've been granted all things. The second thing is this, that these things that we have been granted must grow. They must grow. We cannot be stale and stagnant in our faith in Jesus. In our walk with Jesus, we can't be stale or stagnant. Those things have to grow. They have to develop. Look what it says in 2 Peter 1 and verse 8. It says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then if you skip down to verse 10, it says this, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. We got any, anybody that plays sports in high school? All right. So, as a member of a sports team, I'm sure I feel comfortable that you probably walked into seventh period on Monday during the season, and the coach gathered everybody up in the, in the locker room, and he said, guys, listen, I want you to know that you are football players. You look like football players. You think like football players. You are football players. Now remember that. When we charge through the sign on Friday night, when we charge through the sign and you get on the sideline and we get out on the field and we start cracking heads, you remember that you are football players. Now let's go home and get some rest and eat and have a good night. Is that how it worked? Anybody? No? What did y'all do? 
what? Practiced. So again, I went to Danville. And back in my day, we were actually good at football. All right? Not so much anymore. Sorry if you go to Danville. But we were actually good at football. And so when we got in on Mondays and we got to seventh period, our coach walked into the locker room. He said, boys, get your gear on. Coach, shorts and pads today? No, full pads. And we went out there and we knocked heads. And we got after it. And we practiced and we prepared for the game on Friday nights. We, in fact, went through every, every scenario, everything that could happen on Friday nights. We went through that. We practiced it because we wanted to know what was coming at us. And we went live, too. Look, we didn't do that pansy stuff like I did do today. You know, touch only. No. We got after it. In fact, I got knocked out in practice by my own teammate one time. I literally ran into him and it knocked me out. But we got after it. But we practiced. And we practiced. And we practiced. And on Mondays we practiced. And on Tuesdays we practiced. And on Wednesdays we practiced. And on Thursdays we practiced. And on Fridays we got out there and we knew what to do. And then on Saturdays we watched film. And on Sundays we went through and did uh, work where we went in and looked at what happened. Reviewed film and things like that on Sundays. And then Monday we did it all again. And in basketball is the same thing. Mondays we practiced, Tuesday we did walk through, Tuesday night we played, Wednesday we did practice, Thursday we did practice, Friday we did walk through and we played. Same thing in baseball. But we practiced these things. And because we practiced them, we were successful in what we did because we had the knowledge that we needed in order to execute in the game. Now, we were also given something called a playbook. And this playbook diagrammed things in it. And so I had a specific position that I played, and so I went in and I looked for that position, and I knew what I had to do. And so every time the quarterback would get in the huddle and he would say, we're going to run 44 power pass, split right, 44 power pass, split right, 44 power pass on one. Ready, break. I knew that I was lining up in the slot, and I was running a five and out. Isn't that amazing? I still remember that. 25 years ago, I still remember that. I was running a five-yard out pattern. And I knew that because I studied the playbook. Can I tell you this morning that God has given us the ultimate playbook in his word? And the way that we are effective and fruitful in the life of a believer is to study the playbook. What you can't do is scan it. If I would have went through and scanned the playbook that we were looking at when I played football, I wouldn't have known what route I needed to run. I wouldn't have known who I needed to block on certain plays. But because I studied it in depth and I knew it, I knew what to do and I knew how to execute. So it's important that we know that we have a playbook and we are called to study it. We are called to obey it. We are called to know how to execute when we're on the field. Not only that, but there's a process that God puts us through and it's called sanctification. It's a process of conviction and, and, and ministering to us through his word that causes us to look more and more like Jesus as we go through this thing called life. I want to be clear about something this morning. And I said this last week, but I want to be clear again. If you are a 20-year veteran of Christianity and you're still drinking milk, something's wrong. 
We should be growing in our faith. We should be developing into solid believers. And if we're not, there's something wrong with the way we're approaching this thing called the Christian life. It's important to note that this morning because these things are effective as long as you're practicing them. They're fruitful as long as you're practicing them. But if they're sitting stale and stagnant inside our hearts, then they're not fruitful and they're not productive in any way, shape, or form. It's important to note that this morning, that these things must grow. And then the third thing is this, because I think this is one that kind of ties us up a little bit. The third thing is this, that the lack of these things is catastrophic. The lack of these things in your life is catastrophic. Look at what verse 9 says. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. I want to be very clear about this. This is a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous place to be for a believer. It's an extremely dangerous place to be for a believer. Sin, when it creeps into our lives, is powerful. And if we are not sound in our walk with Jesus, and we are not supplementing our faith with these things that He has given us in His Word, we are susceptible to fall at the hands of that sin. And it doesn't take a lot. Listen to me this morning. You're familiar with the story of Job in the Bible. At the beginning of the story of Job, the Bible says that uh, God was, in essence, in a meeting. And I don't know what all that looks like, and I, I don't know what all that means. But in essence, it says that God was in a meeting. And that the devil walked in. And God said, devil, where is it that you come from? Anybody remember what his answer was? From going to and fro in the earth. The Bible goes on to tell us that the devil is a roaring lion going to and fro, seeking whom he may desire. And can I tell you this? The devil is the craftiest of all creation. In fact, the Bible says that he will reveal himself as a creature of light, a beautiful thing, something that draws our eye, that he will reveal himself as as that. And can I tell you this morning that all it takes for him is a little crack, a little crack. You leave your door cracked just a little bit. You leave your door cracked just a little bit and see if he don't rush in like a fireman rushing to a fire. He'll bust in and wreak havoc on you and your family. And all it takes is just a little crack. A little crack in the armor. In fact, Galatians chapter 5 tells us this. He says in Paul, in his writing to the church at Galatia, says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. And then he says this, and it's very important. He says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And what he's saying there is just a little sin, a little bit, a little white lie, a little, well, I'll just do it this way, just a little, nobody will know. See, that's what we're guilty of in our lives. We're guilty of coming up and saying, God, I know that you've stated in your word that we should do this and that we have to supplement our faith in this way and that we have to walk in this manner. But God, I want that. 
And it's just a little bit. Nobody will know. And then all of a sudden, we found ourselves engulfed in sin. You remember I told you that I'm familiar with a situation right now that um, somebody I, I personally know really, really well is, is in a situation right now, in this very situation, where they have allowed sin to come into their lives, and now they are absolutely blinded to the effect that their sin is having not only in their own life, but in the life of everyone around them. They are blinded. They're so nearsighted. They're seeing only their self and their own desires and their own ways. And they want what they want. And they don't care what God says in this moment. Oh, what a dangerous place to be. A little leaven. A little sin. Listen, if you struggle with things in your life, you can't crack the door any to let that stuff in because the devil will rush in. And he will wreak havoc on you and your family. Not having these things, a lack of these things, is extremely catastrophic. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the results of sin in our lives. And I said, if we let sin in, and we let it have foothold in our life, there's three things that it'll do to you. The first thing is, is that it will take you further than you wanted to go. You remember that? Sin will take you further than you wanted to go. You didn't intend to go there. This guy that I'm talking about that I know that I'm personally involved with, he didn't intend for this to happen. His first decision that allowed the door to be open just a little bit for Satan to rush in and to attack him and to attack all of his decisions and all that he is, that one decision, he never intended to be where he is right now. He never intended to go as far as he has. He never intended to hurt the people that he's hurt. He never intended to sever the relationships that he severed. It takes you further than you wanted to go. But the second thing it does is it'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay. It'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay. It'll have a foothold on you. And the third thing is this, that it will cost you more than you wanted to pay. Can I tell you this morning that Satan is absolutely an expert at what he does? He's an expert at what he does. And his main priority is to get after those who are following Jesus. He's not after those who are already lost, y'all. Listen to me. He's not after the sinner. He's already got them. He's after me and you. He's after those who claim to be believers. He's after those who claim to follow Jesus. He's after those who are sold out to living a life worthy of the call. He is after those people because he knows if he can bring them down that it has fallout with the rest of the world. He knows if he can bring somebody down whose light once shined so bright and dim that light that it has implications in the rest of the world. The lack of these things is catastrophic. It would be good to keep that in the forefront of our minds. It would be good to focus on that result when we are faced with decisions in life. It would be helpful for us to supplement our faith and not our desires. In everything that we do, let us focus and seek God and His holiness so that ours may be complete. 
Isn't it discouraging sometimes to see somebody who once light shine so bright for Jesus and now it's just a dim, almost out light? D.L. Moody had this quote, and I think it's so awesome. D.L. Moody said, I pity any man who lives so that people have to ask, is he a Christian? Let us live so that no one needs to ask this question about us. Let us supplement our faith with these things. Let us hold fast to the playbook that God has given us. Let us rely on these things that have been given us in His Word that supplement our faith, not the things of our own, not our own desires, but let us focus on these things so that there is not a question about our life. There's not a question if we're a believer or not. They know because we are effective and fruitful. Let that be our plea today. God, don't let me be ineffective. Don't let my life be unfruitful. Let me supplement it with the things of you. And withstand my own desire to satisfy and gratify myself. Let's pray together. Father, by my own admission, this morning God I struggle with some of these things I struggle with selfish desires I struggle with self-control I struggle with brotherly affection I struggle with love sometimes God I also know when I practice these things when I am deep in your word when I am sold out to developing my relationship with you, God, that that struggle seems a lot less. So today I pray that if there's anyone here in here that is, is like me and they struggle with these things, God, I pray that you would open their eyes up this morning to the fact that you have given us all things to live a life of holiness and godliness. And God, that anything that detracts from that is things that we introduce ourselves, that gratify our sinful desires. And so I pray that as our eyes are open to those things, God, that we would, we would act on them. Because you haven't given us an opportunity to, to understand that we're lost and come to save us and just leave us where we're at. You have come and saved us and brought us out of the mess that we were in. And you have established our going. You have established our ways and you put our feet on the solid rock. And so this morning, God, I pray that you would help us to understand that in a way that is impactful and allows us to move forward in our lives, shining a, light, a bright light that you have called us to shine this morning. God, there may be here some that don't know you. They've never fully committed to following you and you've told us it's wise to count the cost and so this morning if you have began a good work in someone here God I pray that you would complete it this morning you would bring them to an understanding knowledge of you and God I pray that you would enable us as a community of believers to rally around them and help them walk through this thing called life
And God, most of all, anything that we do, we pray that you get glory and honor and praise for it. We pray that your word is revealed and true in all that we do. We love you, Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Amen.